September 8th of this, of this past year, 2015, you probably didn't hear about this because, I mean, it was a new story, but probably something that, you know, didn't grab your attention. But there was an airplane in Las Vegas, it was a British Airways jet, and it was flying from Las Vegas to London. And I guess it's good news. I mean, it's never, it's never good news when a plane catches on fire, but the plane caught on fire while it was on the tarmac, while it was still on the runway, it had taken off. So but that's good news, right? I mean, if it catches fire in the air, that's, that's big trouble. But so the, the, the plane's on the runway. The pilot later said it was a, a catastrophic event happened in the left engine, and it exploded. This is pictures of it. Plane catches on fire, smoke everywhere, and so they start to evacuate the plane. And as they're evacuating the plane, the reason why this kind of went newsworthy is because the people on the plane, filling with smoke, fire out the window, chancing an explosion, started opening the bins to get their luggage. Isn't that crazy? They said one of the guys that works in the tower was in an interview said that the FAA, the goal is that you should be able to evacuate an entire plane in 90 seconds. That's, that's the goal. For something like that, a minute and a half, people from the front to the back are all off. The guy said, if you assume that it took five seconds per person to get their luggage, which if you've ever flown and had that little old lady in front of you with her luggage up there, it's more like five minutes. But I mean, he said if it was five seconds per person, it would add an additional seven minutes to the evacuation. That's an eight and a half minute evacuation. So imagine if you're in seat 36C all the way at the back of the plane and it's filling full of smoke and the line to get off isn't moving. That's what happened. A blogger said this, and I thought, man, this is telling. He said, obviously or apparently, people love their carry-ons more than they love life. Sounds silly. We'd go, no. Why would you grab your bag? Well, well, this week we're talking about the God of materialism, the God of stuff. Two weeks ago we started this, this series, My Strange Addictions, and talking about things that that we are addicted to or things that we worship. We kind of looked at the Ten Commandments, if you're here. You remember we, we looked at the first two of the Ten Commandments, and one of them, God said, you should have no other gods before me. And you remember we said that that didn't mean that God's number one and everything else is two, three, four, five, six. What that meant is God said, I don't want any other gods before me in my presence. So it's me and only me. And then we took the journey, and we are in the middle of it over the next four weeks, of, of talking about some of these things that, that we can become addicted to, these things that we can worship, that become things that get right inside the right in front of the presence of God, and God goes, you got to get those out of the way. And last week, I felt like we had a pretty spiritual moment, if you're here. I mean, I'll be honest with you, last week, like when we started like the game and stuff, it was like crazy, like live. Li- I mean, I was halfway through welcome, and people, I, people couldn't even hear me. But by the time we got through looking at the Scripture and talking about the God of appearance and how we tend to worship the way we look and the way people see us, it was kind of pin drop silent in here. And I, and I think God honored our prayers we had in week one, that he shined a light on some darkness in our, in our lives. And so this week, we, we're moving on from appearance, and we're talking about the God of stuff, the God of money. Now, if you look at surveys, the surveys would tell us that we all agree that materialism is a bad thing. In fact, Zogsby did a survey last year, and they asked Americans, they said, what is, what is the number one problem in America, the most urgent problem in America? And the number one answer was greed and slash materialism. The second was poverty and economic injustice. And those two things kind of go hand in hand. They're both money issues. 
So Americans last year said, hey, the biggest problem facing our country is the, the problem of greed. Vanity Fair, in 2014, the year before that, did a survey, and they asked people if they agreed or disagreed with a famous quote by a guy named Gordon Gecko, where he said, greed is good. And so they asked in that survey, do you agree? Greed is good. 72% of people said, no, it's not. Absolutely not. Less than 20, there were people, there, there were few that were on the fence. 19% said, yeah. I mean, less than one in five. And then The Economist uh, magazine did a survey. They asked this question, what is the deadliest of all sins? And the answer, number one, from people just out there, greed. So, I mean, we, most people kind of understand, hey, greed's not a, a good thing. Greed can be bad for you. Materialism doesn't satisfy. I think most people inherently know that because they've tried it and it doesn't work. But here's what else is interesting. A different survey done by the BBC, they asked people this, of the seven deadly sins, which one have you committed and which one have you committed in the last month? They asked both questions. And so people went in, they, the seven sins were listed out, last place in both polls, last that I've committed and the last place I committed this month was greed. So we say it's bad, but we say it's bad, but I don't do it. I mean, materialism is a terrible thing, but I'm not materialistic. And so what we've got to figure out tonight is this materialism, the love of stuff and the love of money, is it something that can sneak into your heart that causes a separation between you and God or causes you to actually be an idol worshiper? That's what we've got to figure out. Now, let me say this. The God of money and the God of stuff are two different gods. I mean, there's some people, and, and, and probably a lot of y'all don't have money, but you're going to grow up with patterns that, that you learned inside your home, and some of your parents probably worship the God of money, and they don't worship the God of stuff. So you might have a parent that goes, I don't worship the God of stuff, and you go, yeah, they don't. My parents don't buy anything. They don't buy anything because they save every penny and every dime they have, and they're hoarding everything they have. They're trying to buy their future. They're trying to put their trust and their security in, in their 401k or their retirement. And so they don't worship the God of materialism, but they might be greedy. Now, the person who worships at the, the sanctum of stuff, they've got to spend some money, right? I mean, that's about, that's about having new things and shiny new toys and bigger houses and better phones and nicer clothes and, and being able to, to go do this and go do that. You've got to spend money. So they're not exactly the same, but they're, they're kind of related. Well, this week, we're going to lean more into the God of stuff, materialism, which is probably good because, again, most of you guys probably don't have a whole lot of money. But you might want or desire a whole lot of stuff. That's interesting. A guy counted the number of parables that Jesus gave, stories that Jesus told in the Bible. And he counted his stuff, and he said there's 38 parables. And he said 16 of them, or 16 or 19, a lot of them, were about money, about stuff. And so apparently Jesus, when he was teaching, even 2,000 years ago, looked at people and told us this, Hey, if there's any God that's going to sneak into your life that's going to steal our relationship away from us, it's more than likely going to be the God of stuff and the God of materialism. And so I want us to look in Luke chapter 12 tonight. Uh, if you don't know where Luke is, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Uh, if you have a Bible that's got red letter stuff, if you get to the books that have red letters, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you don't know where it is, the best thing to do, though, is open up to the table of contents and find it. But Luke chapter 12 we come across Jesus kind of teaching, having a conversation, and inside this conversation, he tells a story, and I want us to read it together. I want us to go to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. 
It says, someone in the crowd, Jesus talking to the crowd, said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I think this is, this is one of the stories, like, I wish I could go, because I want to know, like, how this story came about, like, like what happened? Because we just know that there's two guys, and they're having an argument, so I don't know, like, if Jesus is, like, teaching, and then he's doing, like, question and answer, like, hey, do you got any thoughts, and some guy raised his hand, or if Jesus is minding his own business, and, and these two brothers are having this argument, but they're having an argument, and one of them, you know, apparently wants to bring in this teacher, the rabbi, Jesus, and go, hey, let's get his opinion. Now, we don't know what they were arguing about other than they were arguing about inheritance, but this is probably what it could have been. The Old Testament said this, that if you were getting an inheritance, the oldest son got a double portion of the inheritance. So what that meant, if my family was living by Old Testament uh, rules, I have three brothers. So the, the inheritance of my parents would not have been divided three ways. It would have been divided four ways. There would have been an extra way put in there. And my oldest brother would have gotten two portions. So he would have gotten really half. And I would have got a, a, a fourth, and my middle brother got a fourth. God help us all if you've ever met my older brother. He doesn't need that kind of money. If you had, if you had a family of seven, it would have been divided eight ways. The oldest would have gotten two sevenths. So what's probably happening here, we don't know for sure, but what's probably happening here is you've got two brothers. Now one brother is going to get two-thirds of the inheritance. And the brother who's getting the one-third is like, that sucks. Like, I, I mean, I'm... Mom and dad, like, love me just as much as you. In fact, I think mom loves me better. Why are you getting two-thirds and I'm getting a third? And the older brother's just going, hey, that's the way the law is. And, and the younger brother's going, that's not fair. Hey, Jesus, I mean, you understand the Old Testament. This doesn't sound like it's justice. Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus goes, listen, don't bring me into your family squabble. That's not my business. That's, that's y'all's business. But then he turns to everybody and he says this, and this is good stuff. He says, take care. Be careful. Be on guard. Be aware. Be looking around. Be vigilant against all covetousness. All. Be on guard against the God of money. Be aware that the God of stuff might jump in to your life. You need to, you need to be on the lookout for materialism to sneak in. He says, for one's life, the reason why you're here. Your, your satisfaction, your happiness does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus goes, you didn't, you're not here to just gather stuff. You, you better be careful that materialism and the God of money doesn't sneak in because it will actually rob you of real life because your life is not about stuff. And then he tells this story in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. You're going to die. And the things you're prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's a guy that's got stuff. Now, I want you to see two things out of the story. One is what, is, is this the land, 
is what produced. I mean, Jesus tells down the story, very first verse, that 16, it says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, surely this guy went out, and he probably, I mean, he's a rich guy, so he probably had servants. They went out, and they tilled the ground, surely, and they, they put out seed, I'm sure, and they, they probably weeded when the, the crops started to come in, and they harvested it. But the land is what gave this guy all of the, the crops, all of this grain. I mean, this, this is a make-believe story, but it would have been real life. I mean, people did this all the time, especially in Jesus' era. And you know there's, there were people before this guy and after this guy who had worked way harder than he had. I mean, they had tilled harder land, and they had put more seed out, and they had sweat more, and they would worked hard, and they had moments where the land didn't produce. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you can work hard as a farmer, but it doesn't mean you're getting crops, right? And you don't get the right amount of rain, it's all over. And so Jesus makes it clear where the gifts come from. God is the one who provides. It's the land that God gave, and rain came, and, and the crops came, and this guy's got all of these crops that God provided, but I want you to do this. I want you to read with me, and I want you to count. I want you to count with me in the next couple of verses how many times we hear the word I, my, or mine. You ready? Verse 17, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eleven times. That's what I counted. I mean, the land produced. It was God who gave the gift. And yet this guy, 11 times in like two verses, it's, it's, it's all about me and my and I. He's got this, this faulty perception that it's his stuff. And it's not. And what I want you to understand tonight is this. And I hope you'll take this if your parents are here on Sunday in, in, in this class. I hope you're talking about it this week. You'll never find satisfaction. You're never going to find satisfaction when you're worshiping the gifts. Satisfaction comes from worshiping the giver. I mean, in, in this theory, story, God has given, and the guy has turned his eyes off of God instead of going, God, man, thank you so much, and I don't even know what to do with all of these crops. He might have listened in, and God might have said, give some away to the poor. Who knows? But he didn't even look at God to say, thank you for what you've given me as the gift giver. I'm so caught up with my gifts and all my stuff, and I've got the newest this and the newest that, and I've got barns, perfectly good barns. I'm going to tear them down and build bigger ones because I came. It's the guy who's in love, in love with stuff. And the enemy, the God of materialism, was whispering to him, whispering some lies. Here are a couple of lies that he whispers. And one is this, stuff will bring you security. Now, that's probably really not for you, but for your parents and for you one day. But in America, I mean, we, we, we're going we're gonna to take care of ourselves. I'm going to get as much stuff as I can. I'm going to get the biggest 401k I can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire at the age of 60, and I'm going to live on a beach and put my feet up. And in this story, Jesus, I mean, God says to this guy, he says, you fool. You're saving all that money. You may not even make it to that day. Today, to the guy in the story, your life is required of you. You're dying today. Where's all your stuff going? And here's, here's a, a, a red flag. Here's a warning sign to know if you, if you think stuff will bring you safety in your future. And really, again, probably more for parents, but maybe for some of you guys, if you examine your prayer life, and your prayer life is more about like, God, I want to pray for Aunt Helen's bunions because she says they hurt, and I don't know what bunions are, but it sounds bad. And God, I want to pray for this algebra test. 
And God, I want to pray for my friend that he gets that girlfriend. If, if your prayers are, those aren't bad prayers. But if, if your prayer life is never, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through tomorrow without you. Then you're not praying the prayers that the people of the scripture pray. Go, go through and read some Psalms. God, where are you? God, I need you. But you know what we do in America? We go, God, hey, why don't you take care of this stuff? But really, God, I don't really need you because I've taken care of myself. I got a big old fat bank account. I could sell one of my cars. We could downsize if we need to. God, I got so much stuff. You worry about the other things, God. I'll worry about me. And God says, you know what? All of your stuff won't save you. That safety is a lie. Here's the second lie that he whispers. That stuff is going to bring you satisfaction. Guys, I'm telling you, we buy into this. If you have ever thought, like when a new iPhone comes out, oh, I've got to get it. And the phone you have now works still. I mean, it still calls people and texts people because that's what a phone does. And you're like, but I've got to get the new iPhone because the new iPhone has a fingerprint scanner. I can just put my fingerprint on it. I don't have to put in four digits to unlock it. It's so much faster. I mean, this, not this. And sometimes it doesn't work. There you go. If you got, man, I've got to have that. You are living proof that stuff doesn't satisfy. In my day, in my day, it was shoes. Like Air, Michael Jordan was the man, and, and he had Air Jordans came out, and they got a new version of Air Jordans every year. And I knew people who, like, they didn't even wear them. They didn't want them scuffed up. And when the next year's shoes come out, I got to have them. They didn't even walk in their shoes. It was just about stuff, and I got to have the next one because I'm not satisfied with simply what I have. I've got to have more. If that's it, man, if, if you've ever, like, been disappointed because the PS4 came out or the new Xbox came out and you didn't get one because your parents thought your old Xbox and your old PS3 and your Wii, all three of them, would satisfy you and you went, no, it won't satisfy me. I've got to have what's new. You might worship the God of stuff. It doesn't satisfy. You'll always want more. There's a guy named Marcus Person. Some of you might recognize his name. He sold his company, which invented Minecraft, to Microsoft for $2.4 billion dollars. I'm sorry, $2.5 billion. Marcus Person, the man who owned the company, is worth today $1.4 billion. You think $1.4 billion would make you happy? I think it would make me happy. I mean, I'd buy y'all like pizza every night, every collide, ice cream. We'd have like carnival rides out front. I mean, anything... Y'all would be like, hey, can we get like, you know, a famous NFL? Yeah, I'll call him up. I'll have him skip the game that he's playing in to come talk. I got $1.4 billion. But you know what? It's so sad. I'm going to finish telling you a story about Marcus Person in a second. My wife told me this the other day. Y'all were aware. It was all over social media and stuff. You know, Powerball just happened. That was $1.3 billion. $1.6. She told me this. I didn't hear this. I'm going to take her word for it, though, that the people who run Powerball changed the rules recently. They change the rules and how the, 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 the lottery game works so that the, the number would get up to that $1.6 billion. They changed it, but it made it much harder for somebody to win. But you know the reason why they changed it? Because when the pot was only worth $350 million, people didn't want to play. Now, crazy, their, their chances of winning were better. They had a better chance of winning $350 million than the $1.6 billion, but they went, this, this is literally what they went, $350 million, nah, that's not enough. 
Like, are you kidding me? So here's Marcus Person, $1.4 billion. This guy got into a bidding contest on a house in Beverly Hills, $70 million house. He outbid Jay-Z and Beyonce. The house, the house has 15 bathrooms. Oh, the toilets in the bathroom cost $5,600 a piece. I don't know. He's got inside his house, his mansion, an M&M tower. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds awesome. He's got an M&M tower. I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff. He's got a movie theater inside his house. Let me read you what he tweeted the other day. Marcus Person tweeted this on August 29th of last year. $1.4 billion. That house at 4.48 a.m., he said this, quote, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. And then he followed that tweet with this one. Hanging out in Ibiza, that's a beach in Spain, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. Found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle, and went with a normal person instead. $1.4 billion, something that, that all kinds of people were putting their dollar lotto tickets down on for that power, because they thought in their mind, if I can hit the lottery, if I can hit the jackpot, if I can have that amount of money and that amount of stuff, a $70 million mansion, I could sit on a toilet that's worth more than most people's lives. <laughs> I'll be satisfied, and you're hearing from a guy who's got it all, and he's got nothing, because he's bought into the lie that stuff satisfies and it doesn't. And line number three is this, that stuff will make you happy. It won't. In fact, Ed Diner, he's a professor at the University of Illinois, said this. He said, materialism is toxic to happiness. Materialism is toxic to happiness. And all the research shows us that people who have to have more stuff and more, materialism, more material things, their contentment with life drops. It's a lie of the enemy. It says stuff will make you happy. The newest, the brightest, the fanciest, the most expensive will bring me satisfaction and significance, and it won't. And Jesus said this. He said, your life is not about accumulating things. So, maybe you're there. Maybe you're worshiping the God of stuff. Maybe materialism has snuck into your life. Let me give you some, some things you can try this week. I'd say the number one thing is you got to repent. That's, that's the big thing. You just go, God, I don't want any other gods in my life. God, I don't, I don't want to be in love with stuff. One of the questions that I put in the yap to ask for your parents to talk about if they do that, could you, could you go without your stuff? Could you, if it was called of you to give up your phone, your stuff, could you walk away from it? If you couldn't, you might need to dig deep this week. See if that phone is one of the things that's before God. Here's some things you can try to help break through this. First thing is this. You can start this tomorrow. You can start this tonight. Thank God for his things. Now, Psalm 24.1 says this, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Psalm 24.1 is just a, a short verse. It's a great one, though. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Or some translations say, the earth is the Lord's 
and all that fills it. At the end of the day, it's all God's. It's all God's. It's all the gifts. And we can't fo- if we focus on the gifts, we're going to be unsatisfied. We've got to worship the giver and not the gift. So here's what you do. Start thinking this way. When you get up out of bed tomorrow, maybe when you go home tonight, when you get up out of bed, just go, God, thank you for letting me sleep in your bed. And God, let me, thank you for letting me sleep under your roof. And God, thank you for letting me use your shower and your mirror and your clothes to get dressed in. And God, thank you for letting me ride to school in your car. And God, thank you for letting me have your money so that I can eat lunch today. Because at the end of the day, it really isn't yours. You might think it is, but like we learned in the parable, God is the giver of all things. And you know what? In any moment, at any moment, you could lose it all. You could. You could lose your house. I mean, fire hit it. What are you going to do then? It wasn't yours in the first place. And you got to start training your mind to start thinking, this is not my stuff. And when you start looking at the things that you are in possession of as God's, you start looking at life open-handed. So here's the second thing you can do. I encourage you to do this because some of you guys will struggle with this. Be a giver and not a loner. Don't loan your things out. Give them out. Somebody wants to come borrow your game that you just got, the brand new whatever, they go, hey, can I borrow it? If you're open-handed, you can say, hey, I'd, yeah, I'd love to have it back, but, but when, you, when you hand it out, consider it gone. If you get it back, great. Now, I, I grew up, this was hard for me growing up, because my parents like, had movies. I was like an adult, like in, in my 20s. And I remember being at my parents' house, and they had like DVDs, and I'm looking through them, I'm like, oh, sweet, I haven't seen that. And I'm like, hey, can I take that home and watch it? And my mom like, looked at me, and she was seriously, oh, yeah, sure. There's a sign-out sheet next to the DVDs. And I'm like, what? So yeah, put your name down and what movie you took. Like, so like you're going to call me in six months and like bring back Avatar. You know, like, <laughs> seriously, you're my mom. And so I, I, mean, I wrestled with that, though, because that's kind of the world I grew up in. I love books. I read all the time. I got a huge library in my office. And when I first started getting these books, I started putting these stickers in them. Please return to the office of Brett Levi in hopes that somebody said, hey, can I borrow it? Yes. And hopefully they would look at it later and go, oh, that's not mine, and they'd bring it back. But when I kind of conquered this and realized, you know what, I need to be a giver and not a loner, I've just said, yeah, I'd love it if they bring my book back. But as soon as I hand it out, I don't expect it to come back. I'm not writing a list down. I'm not looking for it. In fact, I've got a couple of books that I recommend a lot that I've learned. I have one book that I know of I've bought at least five times. I'm not exaggerating. Because I go to get it to use it for something, and I'm like, dang it, where'd it go? I loaned it out, and i got to go buy it again. And then I loan it out again. And I mean, half of this church owns that book. They've, like, borrowed it from me and never given it back. But, but, but it's not mine. And so I, I don't want to worship stuff and go, these are my books, and you can't. So I, be a, a giver and not a loner. Here's the third thing. Focus on the things that last. Last verse I want you to look at. i got to speed up because we're going to run out of time. Ecclesiastes 5.15 says this. And this is, this is great stuff. This is just truth. And he came from his mother's womb. You were born. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. You know what Solomon says? All that stuff you're trying to save and all that stuff that you got to have, when you die, you're not taking it with you. It's not going anywhere. So, so what really matters in life? Are you investing your life in stuff that, that when you die is going to be left behind for somebody else or investing your life in people who are eternal? You realize that, right? Every one of your friends has an eternal destiny with God or without him, in heaven or in hell. And we're so concentrated on the God of materialism, i got to have more stuff. We need to stop focusing on stuff and start focusing on people because people last and things don't. 
right? Maybe not. Fourth one. Oh, no. Let me tell you this. Let me give you this. This, is for, this guy, can you put it up there? This guy, Jim Neffy. It's an old book. Interesting story. This guy was an apartment builder in uh, the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area back in the 60s. So he's building apartment complexes, and he's moving these people into the apartments, and, and you know, they're downsizing these smaller units, and they've got all this stuff that they don't know what to do with. And so this guy, Jim, had this idea. He says, I'm going to go out, and he found a piece of land, bought the piece of land, and started putting up 10-foot by 10-foot sheds. They were storage sheds. And his friends looked at him and went, you're crazy. You're wasting money. Nobody's going to, like, give you money to store their stuff. And 50 years later, this guy's got a book about him. Those people don't. The guy's a multimillionaire because he started the first storage unit. How many storage units are just in our city alone? And they're, and they're good for things. Like when I moved, I had to rent one to put stuff in in between. But you know what? I mean, you know how many people have, they're like in their house. They're not in between transition. They're, they're just in their house. They've got so much stuff that they don't have another place for it in their house. So they pay somebody money to hold their stuff that they don't use, they don't look at, they don't see, they don't even know it's there. But they've got so, I mean, it's the God of materialism. I got to have my stuff, so I'm going to pay somebody 70 bucks a month just to hold it. And then they forget it's there, and there's reality TV shows about people who go and buy your junk that you forgot you had. How crazy is that? But it's people who worship the God of stuff. That's you. God says, I don't want any other gods in front of me. It's idolatry. I'll tell you one last story, and I'm going to pray. And this one, a guy told, and I, I read it somewhere, I don't even recall where. But it hit me because I'm, I'm a collector of sports memorabilia. I've got a room upstairs. I've got autographs and things like that that I love. And, and I love going to baseball games and football games. And, and this guy was talking about, he said he went to, used to go to baseball games, and he'd go early uh, during batting practice and stuff because he wanted to try to catch a ball from, like, batting practice or, or even meet a, a baseball player that would hand him a ball. And he's at a game. He's at a St. Louis Cardinals game. And he said he, he, he's out there before the game, and there's this little five-year-old boy. His parents are sitting down. This little five-year-old boy is walking up, trying to get a baseball, trying to meet some of these baseball players. He said there was, he said, what captured him, there was a baseball player for the Cardinals named Mike Timlin. And this, fi- this five-year-old couldn't even say his name. He just kept going, Mr. Timwin, Mr. Timwin, trying to get his attention. He said, it was just so cute. And so he said, I, I decided I was going to start trying to get this kid a ball. And so I started pointing out, okay, now that's so-and-so. Just yell for him, yell for him. Okay, he's gone. Go over here and you know, ask him. And he said, that, you know, 15, 20 minutes of that pregame stuff, the kid didn't get a ball. And he kept trying the kid. And so he looked down at the kid and he said, you know what? I'll tell you what, if I get a ball today, you can have it. And the guy's telling the story. He said, for 28 years, I went to baseball games. And he said, this wouldn't be a story unless you already knew how it ended. 28 years of baseball games, I never caught a ball, never got a ball. And as soon as I made the promise to be open-handed, to not love the gifts, but to be a giver, so I caught my first baseball. I walked over and handed it to the five-year-old kid. But you know, there's a blessing and satisfaction in life when you worship the giver and not the gifts. When you don't hold on to your stuff, when you don't hoard things, and you love God and you love people, and you God, you're the giver, I'm going to worship you, and God, with the gifts that you've given me, like you, I'm going to be a giver as well. That will radically change your life. I'm going to tell you this last thing, because I want you to hear this. I have a side business outside of youth ministry that I do little bits of. 
and I sit down with families, and I help them do financial planning. I help them sit down, do their budgets. I help them invest, and I help them do college savings. I help them get out of debt and, and build a whole plan for them. And you know what I come across all the time? And it's adults all over the place. They live in America, and they make six figures. They make a ton of money. And the Spirit of God moves, and there's a mission trip to Poland like we're going on or some other hand of, hand of God movement that's happening. And God points to them and goes, I want you to be involved in this. I want you to join me in my work here. And it's going to cost you financially, but I've given you gifts so that you can give to the kingdom of God. But they've got so much stuff that they're still making payments on. That when God goes, hey, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing, they have to look at God and go, sorry, can't. That's sad. My prayer for you is that you don't worship the God of stuff and the God of materialism. And as you become an adult or even now as you have money, that you would be able to give to the things that God is doing because there is great blessing and great joy there. We're going to pray, give you a couple announcements, and then we'll play boxes. God, God, we live, stuff is awesome. I mean, you give us gifts, and God, we know gifts aren't bad things. And now I confess in front of everybody here, I like stuff sometimes. I like new things. I like getting a package in the mail. God, I don't want it to become something I worship. God, I don't want to be able to have anything in my life that I couldn't give up without any problem. God, I want to be open-handed. If you call me to let it go, I'll let it go. Because I worship the giver and not the gift. God, I pray that's true for everybody in here. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.